Good morning, church. Would you stand with us this morning as we declare about his breakthrough, his freedom that only he can provide, that he is our God. Let's worship him with all that we have this morning, church. Remember those walls we call sin and shame. We were like prisons that we couldn't escape. rubble now. Remember those giants we call death and grave. They were like mountains that stood in our way. But he came and he died and he rose. Those giants are dead now. This is our God, this is who He is, He loves us. This is our God, this is what He does, He saves us. He put a cross, beat the grave, let heaven and earth proclaim. This is our God, King Jesus.
Good morning, church. Are you standing on that firm foundation today? The firm foundation that is Jesus. If you are, why don't you sing this song with us this morning? This is 
seated. My name is Jim Moyer. I'm a pastor of discipleship and family ministry here at Camp CC. And we're going to enter into a time of worship in song as we've been doing, but also in communion. So I love that song that we just had. The lyrics of it are just very powerful. It calls out the work that Jesus did on the cross and the truths in it that it tells, proclaiming the new reality of our life in Christ. What Jesus did at Calvary, he bled and died. He set me free. He gave me life. This is what he has done for me. And this is what he's done for you. And in our fear, in our doubt, as we face challenges and struggles, remember, Jesus has overcome even over death, Jesus has overcome. He has risen from the grave. Amen. And we can say in great joy, death is dead and done. Amen. This is our assurance. Death is no more. Christ is the Lord. And let us remember, this is our hope. This is our only hope. So I invite you to think on these truths as you contemplate um, and, and get ready for communion. Jesus, during the Passover meal 2,000 years ago, began a tradition that the church has observed since that time. He broke bread and said, this is my body given to you. And he took a cup of wine and said, this is my blood of new covenant. Do this in remembrance of me. So today, we are continuing that tradition here this morning, which reminds us what God has done for us. The elements of communion are up at the beginning of the, um, next to the stage at the top of each of these aisles. So when you're ready, and when you're uh, prepared your hearts, come on forward, 
and grab the elements and then spread out along the stage and or you can take them back to your seat and you can uh, eat and drink back there we will have uh, two more songs so sometime in that uh, in that time please uh, come forward if you're mobility challenged it would be difficult for you to walk down the aisle no worries our ushers will have the elements and we'll be happy to hand those out to you if you just raise your hand get their attention so uh, these baskets up here are for the elements uh, for the cups uh, when you're done with them and you can place them in there so let's pray father in heaven thank you for the things that you've done you sent your son so that we could be part of your family and father thank you for your son for what he's done that he was that he died and was raised Father, we have uh, forgiveness of sins, and our future is heaven. So all glory and honor belong to him, and we pray in his name, Jesus our Lord. Amen.
starts changing When I'm gonna worship Till I need the world the way I feel Doesn't change who you are Or what you deserve I give you my worship Cause you still deserve it
Welcome to Camarillo Community Church. Uh, if you're new to us, my name is David Hurtado. I'm holding something that you want. I want you to know that right now. Uh, you want this belt. Uh, many of you grew up watching WWE. Some of you still watch it today, don't lie. And, uh, and the truth is you will never be the heavyweight champion of the world, you know, in the WWE, but you could be the trunk or treat champion of the world. It is possible. Uh, every year, actually we've taken a couple years off. We haven't done trunk or treat since 2019 and we're bringing it back this year. If you're new to our church, you know, or you will know in the next coming months uh, that we do a lot to uh, kind of engage and impact our community. It's one of our five core values to impact the community. We do this in several ways. 
Uh, one way was here just this last weekend. We had the sheriff's graduation. The academy graduation was right here on our campus this last weekend, and they filled up the entire room. Uh, we do that just because we want to say we're here. We love you. We support you. And, uh, and I, I guess we used to do that years ago, and now they're back. And so hopefully they'll come back next year as well. But we want to make an impact in our community. We want to serve our community. We want to love our community and our city. Another way we do that is we have uh, uh, a uh, food pantry that feeds about 150 family, families a week, uh, sometimes as high as 175 families. My wife kind of runs that and, and oversees that amazing ministry that we have. It's on, every Friday we serve food, and we do that together in connection with Food Share and, and different organizations locally that give, and then your gifts as well help support that uh, so we can help uh, kind of help feed those who are having trouble um, you know, do I choose food or do I choose rent type of thing? And so we do that as well. Next month, we're going to do something where we're going to be making kindness kits together. It'll be our impact initiative for the month of November. I won't say much more than that, except for that's going to be an incu- a community engagement activity as well that you can be involved in with us. So we do this three or four times a year. We're trying to get outside of our walls and say, we love you community. We want to do something in the community. We want you to see that we're here. We're not just sheltering tax dollars. We're actually trying to be uh, a profitable part of this community. One way that we do that is to make sure that children have a safe place to go for uh, Halloween where they can go and get candy and know that they're not going to be in harm's way. How many of you today would say that you do not no longer send your kids on streets of strangers' homes? You go to family, you go to friends, and maybe their neighbors, right? That's how it is. It's not like when we were kids and we would go everywhere in the neighborhood. Now we actually are very selective about that. And there's something about coming to a community church event where every bag, I'll be leading up the security team where we will take a, a flashlight and look in every bag before they enter. I can't tell you how many parents say, thank you so much for looking through every bag. Now we can feel safe while we're here. We've had up to a thousand people at this event we call Trunk or Treat, and it provides a safe environment for our community, for their children to get candy they know is you know safe candy and so all that to say we need your help (laughs) we need your help and we're willing to give away this belt to whoever helps us the most all right when you leave today there is a trunk or treat uh kind of a a a a, what is that called prototype thank you for ever said that when you leave today you'll see a prototype all you do is decorate your car uh, bring, I think the first two bags of candy, we supply the rest and come and just smile at kids and let them enjoy Halloween. On Halloween, we do it on Halloween because that's when everybody's trick-or-treating. And so we need you to say, you know what? I don't have children anymore that young. I can bring a car and give out candy to little kids and be a part of this community organization, uh, you know, church impact, a thing that we're doing called Trunk or Treat. And if your trunk is the best, we will give you this belt. And we will put your name on this belt. In fact, we have 2018, the Moyer Growth Group one, 2019, the Growth Group Awesome one. And, uh, and we will put 2023, we will put your name on here. Whatever you want to put on, it goes on. Stays on this forever. 20 years ago, they'll be talking about you. <laughs> or 20 years ago. 20 years in the future, they'll be talking about you. <laughs> anyway, uh, you want this. By the way, we always say, if you win this belt, you can wear it at any church activity. Nobody will tell you to get off. Listen, you can get baptized in it for all I care. We will baptize you in the Trunk or Treat Championship of the World belt. We just need you. Listen, I want to encourage all of you to be a part of this. If you're in a growth group, don't just do one as a growth group. Do four as a growth group. Do four trunks. You can do four trunks together. If you are a student, junior and senior in high school, 
And you remember when you were a kid and how much you enjoyed church activities. Now it's your turn. Bring your car that your bad, your mom, your dad just bought you, your little hoopty wagon. Bring it, decorate it, and give kids candy. Juniors, seniors, you're welcome. Husbands versus wives challenge. Make your trunk better than your husband's. Yeah, we're going to do some like, you know, yeah, make, you know, set out to beat each other and have a better, we need many, many trunks all month long. We will be advertising and asking you, would you give up your Halloween so that we can make our community know that we value them and we want a safe place for them. Can you do that? If you are willing, there'll be more, more information to come on that. And uh, who knows, you could be wearing a belt on Sunday morning and people will laugh at you, but you can still do it. Uh, anyway, so that's what we're doing uh, this coming month, and we want you to be a part of that. With that being said, let me jump right into our message time together. I want to ask a question. How many of you have ever bought a car from a car dealership? Raise your hand. Raise your hand if you bought a car from a car dealership. This is the majority of how we buy cars, right? Keep your hand in the air if you enjoyed that process. Yeah, that's, that's about right. I figured it'd be like a 50-50 proposition, right? Some people love that adventure, love the haggling, love the shopping, lo- love the this versus that. Some people hate it. My wife and I are on polar opposite ends on this one. Uh, I've learned now that if I want to go shopping for a car, leave her at home. You know, it's just better for her. It's better for me. I go in there and I'm like trying to haggle, figure out the best deal. I always figure I can walk out and there's 25 more dealerships down the road. Uh, you, you know, if you want me, you're going to have to give me a good deal. And she's thinking about if we don't buy this car, they won't be able to eat dinner. And I'm thinking to myself, well, then give me a good deal so you can eat dinner. If you're not going to give me a good deal, then you're not eating dinner. And by the way, all these car salesmen don't look like they are struggling to eat dinner. They all look like they're doing just fine on the eating dinner thing. So we've learned that maybe if she stayed home and I, and I, and I did all that, that would be better for our relationship. And so that's how we do things together. I always figure it's like a $1,000, $3,000 room of play for these dealers, you know, to, to sell a car. And they're ranking you by everything you say on, do I have to give $3,000 up or do I give $1,000 up? And I just don't feel like they ever give you the, the, the real price. There's another price that they know in their mind they could bring it down. It all depends on how much they bought it for, especially used cars. All depends on how long it's been on the lot and what incentive the owner's giving them to sell it, all these things. And so I want to be in the $3,000 side of things versus like the $1,000 side of things. Oh, I bet you this guy, I bet you could sell it and get more commissions. No, you can't. You're going to have to work for it. And, uh, and so what I wanted to do today is give you my list of three things you should do when you go to a dealership, like three, three kind of uh, uh, playbook items when you're buying a used car. I always buy a used car because I figured, you know, we buy a new one, $3,000 when you, when you drive off the lot. So a used car, especially this square. So number one, write this down. This is important. Always go to the dealership with private party value in the back pocket. Always know what you could buy it for on the street. Believe it or not, more times than not, you can actually buy a car at a dealership for private party value. It just depends on whether or not they bought from some schmo who didn't look up the private party and they bought and they gave them a, you know, less uh, a value on their trade-in. And so you might actually be able to, I bought a car before for private party at the dealership and then they financed it. You can do that. Second, number two, uh, always make sure that if you're bringing a sidekick with you that they're not helping the salesman sell the car. You know what I'm saying? I remember when I was a kid, 16, 17, 18 years old, I took my mom with me 
to go. I wanted to check out, test drive this truck. I was, try, I was scared to go by myself. So mom come with me, test drive this truck together. And, uh, and, and, and the first thing she says, she sees the dealer and she's looking at the car and we're walking around the car. And she says, ooh, que lindo, que lindo. How beautiful, how beautiful is that? I go, I'm like, you know, que in Spanish, how, or, or isn't this such a beautiful car? And instantly that like the car salesman's like talking to her and smiling and everything. Que lindo, que lindo. I, I'm like, hey mom, how about que shut up? Don't help the salesman sell the car. We drive it. Get suave. It's so smooth. Everything is so smooth. Listen, if you're going to be a sidekick, you got you to gotta find something wrong with that car. There's a scratch there. Did you hear that noise? Uh, you know, there might not even be a noise, but you need to hear one. There's noises you can hear, I'm telling you. And you make sure, if, you know, if there was Uber 25 years ago, I'd be like, Mom, you're going home on an Uber. You can't. Your sidekick cannot help the salesman sell the car. Number three. Never talk, and this is the big one, never talk about payments. Never, I'm, 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 I'm trying to help you not get taken by a used car salesman. Never talk about payments. This is the most aggravating one of all of them. And I promise you, I'm going somewhere with all this. <laughs> Don't worry. How much a month did you want to stay under? They'll ask you. How much per month did you want to stay under? What's, your, what's the top that you can do? And literally when they ask me that question, I'll look at them with a glazed face and like a, like a confused look and go, I literally don't understand your question. Like I have no clue what you're talking about. Can you please explain to me what you mean by how much a month do you want to stay under? This is the most, most manipulative tool that they could ever use. Did you know that you could finance a car for 48 months, 64 months, 72 months, 84 months now? And depending on how long you finance, it will bring your your payment down every month, but the longer you finance it, the more you end up paying for the car. This is like such a manipulative tool. It's like I'm, I'm walking in there with this sign on my head saying, idiot, and so you can sell me. No way, man. We're not talking about payments. We're talking about top dollar only. I've got private party in my back pocket. I know how much it's worth. I'm gonna talk about that. We'll worry about payments later. All I'm telling you is I'm not gonna be fooled into you financing me for 125 months and all of a sudden it's $25 a month. But when I'm done with this, I'm gonna pay for $10,000 more than the sticker price was. So three things. One, private party value and back party. Number two, your sidekick's gotta not help the salesman, gotta help you. And number three, never talk about payments. Never talk about payments. Why? Why are we talking about this? Listen, look at me. Sales people are master manipulators. They're taught. There's whole TikTok videos about how you can sell somebody and get them to the finish line, how you close them, all these things, and you cannot fall for their tactics. You must not fall for their tactics. And believe it or not, this sets us up perfectly for our passage today because whether you realize it or not, manipulative people are out there and they're out to get you. And, and it'd be good for you to know their strategies so they can't get you. What strategies do they use and, and when are you most vulnerable? What do they prey on and how can you combat it? How should you respond and how does God respond in those situations where I feel like I'm being taken advantage of, I'm being manipulated, manipulated or, or maybe I feel like I'm, I'm easily manipulated by people sometimes. That's where we're headed in our passage today. If you have your Bible, hold it up in the air. We're doing this new thing. Uh, yeah, hold your Bible. If you have your phone, you're gonna be looking at it. Good, very good. Thank you for that. Uh, just so you know, this fall, at some point, we will be taking the verses off the screen and we're gonna practice diving into the word of God and, uh, and, and saturating ourselves in it ourselves 
when we bring it with us. And so just so you know, I'll be asking that for the next several weeks. We're in the portion of the book. Man, we're, we're, we're 19, almost 19 chapters into the first Samuel series. And I believe we're just getting to the meat of it. Like I'm, I believe we're getting to the portion. This is the countercultural portion. This is the, the counterintuitive portion. This is, this is the portion where you learn things that societally they would tell you, no, you don't value that. And yet God says, yeah, I value that. This is the best part. We're getting to the meat of the book, the money portion of the book. And so I would encourage you, saturate yourselves in it. How many times have we in life said, you know, I'm gonna follow the word of God, even though maybe culturally and societally it says to do something different and I'm blessed for it and I'm better off for it. And people start looking at me going, wow, you're different. I want some of what you have. This is the part where you wanna double down. This is the part where you wanna double down into this book. And so, overarching question today, we're in 1 Samuel chapter 18, turn there together. 1 Samuel chapter 18, we'll be looking at verses 17 through 30 together. And so as you turn there, overarching questions, how might master manipulators attempt to bring you down? That sounds so, so harsh, but it's so important. How do master manipulators come and strategize against you? How do they attempt to bring you down? What are their strategies in taking you down. The first thing we're gonna see is they try and prey on your ego. They will try and prey on your ego. And I want you to see that starting in verse 17 of chapter 18, as we read along together, it says this, then Saul said to David, here's my elder daughter, Mirab. I will give her to you for a wife. Only be valiant for me and fight the Lord's battles. And Saul thought, let not my hands be against him, but let the hands of the Philistines be against him. And David said to Saul, who am I? And who are my relatives and my father's clan in Israel? And how should, and, and, and that I should be the son-in-law to the king. But at the time when Mirab, Saul's daughter, should have been given to David, she was given to Ariel, the Meholathite, for a wife. We'll stop there. How might master manipulators attempt to bring you down? Now, remember last week, Saul was trying to kill David with his own hands. He'd use spears twice to try to throw it out and take David out. And now he's like, you know what? Maybe I don't have to take him out. Maybe I can put him in a situation where the Philistines take him out for me. And that's, you see the manipulator, the connivingness going on in his mind. And so he comes up with this plan of how to prey on his ego. How do I prey on his ego? Master manipulators will attempt to bring you down by trying and praying on your ego. He comes up with a conniving plan to use royal privileges to convince David to fight and hopefully die against the Philistines as he's fighting for Saul. The appeal to the ego goes this way, if you will fight for me and quote unquote the Lord's battles, then I will give you my eldest daughter in marriage. Now what's really interesting about this is he should have got a daughter in marriage already anyway, right? Do you remember what Saul gave to whoever would take out Goliath? A daughter in marriage. So this is a daughter that he should already have. And now this daughter is coming with more conditions. If you will fight for me, be valiant for me, then I will give you my eldest daughter, even though he should have already had her. This is actually quite interesting that he would offer the eldest daughter. It is quite significant because it would be a... a a stab right at the ego of the person. Because if Saul should die and his son, Jonathan, should die, if David was the husband of his eldest daughter, he would now have a line to the throne. And so he's, 
saying, you know, I'll give you this and you'll have a claim to the throne if you just do this for me. Now, in the back of Saul's mind, he's thinking, you know, I'm gonna marry off my daughter and then I'm gonna send David off to war. He's gonna die and then I'll, you know, we'll take care of my daughter with somebody else. You know, that, that's what he's thinking. I, I just need to get David in the place where he'll allow me to connive and manipulate the situation to where I can get him dead. I want him gone. His true motivation is that the Philistines would take him out. Now, I want you to hear this and, and catch this. He's willing to offer his own daughter so that he can kill David. That is the extent of his jealousy, his envy, his concern. Well, interestingly enough, David reveals, surprisingly, that he's not blind by his own ego. Uh, Saul is using a tactic to say, most people have an ego, I'll go after the ego. And then David is sitting there going, well, I don't have an ego, so that doesn't necessarily work on me. He has actually a humble disposition. I want you to go back to verse 19, and we'll see it. But at the time, oh no, verse 18, I'm sorry. And David said to Saul, who am I? And who are my relatives, my father's clan in Israel, that I should be son-in-law to the king? It's a very humble disposition. I don't need your daughter, Saul. I'm of a humble descent. I'm not worthy to be royalty. I, don't, I come from an unclassified line, an undistinguished line. Now, who am I to be married into the king's court? That doesn't make sense to me. How about I just serve you and you can have your daughter. I don't need it. And there actually may be a reference here to a dowry. The idea that how does my family ever come up with the monies that it would require to compensate for the daughter of a king? In the, in the old days, you would provide a dowry to the father of a daughter uh, when he would give her over in marriage. Now, before we start thinking this is like pay for bride kind of services, it's much different. You have to understand that, that she was at the most vulnerable state. She's under her father's protection, provision. And yet when she gets married off, then she's gonna be at a vulnerable state of being under the coverage of her husband. If that husband were to die early, she'd be unmarriable because she's already been married off and been maritally one with someone else. If he were to leave her all of a sudden and just say, I don't want you anymore, I want her over there, then she would be at a most vulnerable state. So when they provided this dowry, it was a way of the father saying, if you run off, then I'll be able to provide for my daughter. Or if you die off, I'll be able to provide for my daughter. So this is a way that they would compensate for the vulnerability of the position of the woman. Now I'm glad today that we have more rights and whatnot than they had in those days. But that was a way for God to cover the vulnerability that was there. It wasn't uncommon. It was not uncommon at all. Uh, but it wasn't just a sales transaction. The price of the bride oftentimes reflected the status of the bride. And this is where we're coming to. How in the world do me and my family who are nobodies how do we ever come up with a dowry that would pay off what is required and what is um, appropriate for the king's daughter? We can't do that. So forget it. I don't need it. I'm not worthy of it. I don't need the royalty. I'm good. I don't have the ego that you were striving after, that you were trying to get to. I'm fine. Well, Saul, at this point, says, fine. You don't want my daughter? I'll give it to somebody else. 
And it may have even been that he was trying to strike again at that ego, like the jealousy and envy piece, maybe trying to get David to do something dumb and then he could try him for treason or something. Like that. But he basically says, fine, I'll give my daughter to somebody else. But again, David has no ego, so you can't prey on it if he doesn't have it. Well, if preying on the ego won't work, then Saul will have to try a different strategy. As most manipulative folks would do, they are not going to stop until they get what they want. And now he's going to try preying on his sense of loyalty. How might master manipulators attempt to bring you down? Number one, they'll try and prey on your ego. But if that doesn't work, they might try and prey on your loyalty. They'll try and prey on loyalty as a means to get what they want. I want you to see this as Saul preys on a loyalty piece in David in verses 20 through 30. Watch this. Now Saul's daughter, Michal, loved David. And they told Saul, and the thing pleased him. And Saul thought, let, her, let, let me give her to him that she may be a snare for him, and that the hand of the Philistines might be against him. Again, I'll give him a different daughter, and I'll, I'll, I'll get him off at war. Therefore Saul said to David a second time, you shall now be my son-in-law. And Saul commanded his servant, speak to David in the private and say, behold, the king has delight in you, and all his servants love you. Now become the king's son-in-law. And Saul's servant spoke those words in the ears of David, and David said, does it seem to you to be a little thing to become the king's son-in-law? There's the humility again. Since I'm a poor man, and I have no reputation, and the servants of Saul told him, and thus and so did David speak, and, they, and then Saul said, thus you shall say to David, the king desires no bride price except, there it is, there's the dowry, no bride price except a hundred foreskins of the Philistines that he might be avenged of the king's enemies. Now Saul thought to make David fall by the hand of the Philistines. And when his servants told David these words, it pleased David well to be the king's son-in-law. Before the time had expired, David rose and went along with his men. These are his mighty men. And they killed 200 of the Philistines. And David brought their foreskins, which were given the full number to the king that he might become the king's son-in-law. And Saul gave his daughter Michal for a wife. But Saul saw and knew that the Lord was with David and Michal, and that Michal, Saul's daughter, loved him. And Saul was even more afraid of David. So Saul was David's enemy, his mortal enemy continually. continually. Then the commandments of the Philistines came out to battle. The commanders of the Philistines came out to battle and as often as they came out, David had more success than all the other servants of Saul. And so his name was highly esteemed. How might master manipulators attempt to bring you down? Well, they will, on a second try, try and prey on your loyalties. This, again, is a conniving plan to earn. I'll give David, if, it, if the dowry is the issue, I'll give him a way to earn it. And then when he earns it, he'll earn my daughter. But in, in the process of trying to earn it, hopefully he'll die, is the idea. He'll be killed in the process. David again rejects it on the similar notion, uh, rejects the second daughter on the similar notion that he rejected the first. I'm of humble beginnings. I'm not worthy of you. It's not a small thing to be the king's son-in-law. I don't need that. I don't have the ego for that. But this time Saul has a plan for it. He comes to David and says, but you can earn it. If you'll just take out our enemies, you can earn it. 
bring back proof that 100 Gentiles have died by bringing their mutilated bodies to me and that will earn the dowry. It wasn't um, out of the ordinary, I hate to be gruesome, but it wasn't out of the ordinary to collect body parts in war as a signal of how many people died in war. So you might collect right hands or left hands or even heads and you would count the heads and you would know how many people passed away in war. This is a little bit extreme. Um, we know that, that he would have to kill these individuals before he was able to mutilate their bodies because nobody's gonna sign up for that. And so um, uh, basically Saul saying, bring me proof of 100 dead Gentiles and that'll be the dowry. Now this extremity of this situation would actually probably trigger something in David to go, okay, that seems worthy of the price of the bride who is the king's daughter. It actually would have worked in his favor. And this allows me to be loyal to the king without getting anything for free or getting something that's not right. And so it preys on the loyalty that's in David's heart. Now, this is a guy who's tried to kill him already twice. And David doesn't even know, but he's trying to kill him right now. And David still has a heart and disposition. I'm humble before the Lord. I'm walking with God. At the same time, I want to serve the king because God put him in his place. So Saul thinks I found the key to get David to do what I want. This conniving adventure, this manipulative adventure has finally got David to agree to go and hopefully die at the hands of the Philistines. But the whole plan backfires. David not only survives this altercation with the Philistines, but he brings back double what he was required. And because of that, Saul is ever more increasingly more fearful of David. Why? Well, number one, because now David has a wife and the love of his daughter, which by the way, he also has the love of his son, Jonathan, and him are knitted together in soul and spirit, as we saw earlier. My daughter loves him, my son loves him, and he has the favor of God as well. So much so am I concerned about this that he is now my enemy for life. In fact, verse 29 says it, Saul was even more afraid of David, so Saul was David's enemy continually, his mortal enemy for life. Now here's the irony in this, you can't miss this. Saul is the one trying to take out David. He's trying to kill David, and yet Saul is the one who's leaving afraid. We don't get any sense that David's ever afraid. He's just like, I'm just walking, and in in, you know, my mind's on God, walking straight forward as God calls me to, not afraid of anything. Saul is trying to take out David, and yet Saul is the one who is afraid of David. David's not afraid of Saul, even though he's trying to take him out. There seems to be an interesting principle here that I think would be good to highlight and maybe good for you to write down. Sometimes the closer you get to the Lord, the further you drive a wedge into your relationship with a manipulative person. Sometimes the closer you get to the Lord, you actually drive a wedge and push away further from the person who is struggling with manipulation. And you know what the reason for that is? They're jealous of you and your closeness with God. You're just walking straight. I'm just walking towards Jesus and, and, and God's giving me favor because I'm walking towards Jesus. And somebody come alongside and say, why not me? 
Why not me? And they take it out on you. So some are like, why is this happening to me? Why do I, why, I'm just walking to God. Why is all this bad stuff happening? Well, sometimes it's because you're walking with God. And the manipulative person goes, I want that. And I wish I had that. And, and so if I can't have that, I'm going to make your life miserable. And it's just something to kind of know inside. Remember, David, all his motivations in this thus far are all pure, all God-glorifying. It is Saul's who aren't. And the jealousy and bruise because of it. Finally, every time David went to battle, he got more highly esteemed. He would go in, he would go out to battle, he'd win, come back. He did better than any other of Saul's servants. David's just, his, you know, his, his reputation just keeps on going higher and higher and higher, and it's driving Saul absolutely crazy. After going after his ego, that didn't work. Saul went after his loyalty, and that didn't work either. He tried to buy his loyalty in exchange for his daughter's hand in marriage, and it didn't work because David keeps on winning these battles that he's hoping he's going to die in. It didn't work because master manipulation has no chance against God's master plan. It didn't work because master manipulation has no chance in comparison to, in relation to, versus against God's master plan. It's our big idea today. Master manipulation has no chance against God's master plan. Listen, if you ever dealt with somebody who's a manipulative person, you know that generally speaking, they aren't going to stop until they've achieved their goal until they win. Maybe you sit there and say, I feel like, I, I'm, why am I so easily manipulated? But just understand this. We are only watching on this side of heaven. We can only see in our earthly eyes. We're not seeing what's going on in the spiritual realms. We don't know what God's got in mind. What's he going to do? How these things come to an end. Don't forget that there's a spiritual realm that's taking account of everything as well. You can't fool God on these things. Master manipulation has no chance against God's master plan. You just need to remember that. Take solace in that. All right, I'm being manipulated right now. Maybe a lot of people don't see it. But you know what? This is all in God's hands. God knows. And he'll validate me just like he eventually validated David. God has a way of making things right when it comes to these realms. In fact, we don't need to look any further than 20 years down the line in this same exact story to get an example of that, that master manipulation has no chance against God's master plan. Spoiler alert, um, if you fast forward to 2 Samuel chapter 1, Saul dies and David becomes king. Uh, that's where eventually it's going to head. That's what was promised in the scriptures. I've taken my hand off of Saul, put my hand onto David. I've anointed David. He will become king. And he becomes king around 20 years later from the point that we're reading today. You can imagine the heartache that's in David when this happens. This whole time, 20 years, sure, Saul's trying to kill me, but I'm trying to serve him. I'm trying to be loyal to him. I feel guilty when I ever raise a finger or a pinky against the Lord's anointed, even though he's trying. I'm going running into the hills, uh, living in caves, because I'm trying to stay away from not allowing him to kill me, but I'm trying to serve him. I, I, I've never wanted anything negative for the king, but yet he still wants to kill me. So there's an amount of heartache that comes when, when after trying so long to serve this person, that person dies. There's probably a lot of relief that comes too, though, because now, thankfully, I don't have to live in a cave anymore. And I don't have to worry about if my head's going to be chopped off by the king who's trying to kill me, even though I'm just trying to serve him. Add to that the fact that apparently Saul and Jonathan die together, according to 1 Samuel chapter 31. 
And you have more anguish for David because Jonathan was his best friend. They were knitted together at their soul. Their spirits were so aligned in how they followed the Lord. You could bet there's a lot of difficulty and anguish at that as well as his best friend dies alongside of him. In addition to all that, he becomes king. Interestingly enough, according to 2 Samuel chapter 1, there's a person, an individual who reports these events back to David. I challenge you to look it up today when you go home. Go to 2 Samuel chapter 1 and look it up. He claims to have been there when Saul died. In fact, not only does he claim to have been there when Saul died, he claims to have killed Saul himself with his own hands. He says that he was there and at the request of Saul, Saul was wounded in war and it was so much in anguish he wasn't going to live. So he did the right thing in taking out Saul. The humane thing. Put him out of his misery kind of a thing. And he had, according to 2 Samuel chapter 1, he had Saul's crown that he took in the battle, and he had a bracelet that was on Saul's arm as proof that he really was there and that this really did happen. Now, many find this to be too convenient of a story. Many commentators, interpreters, this just seems to be too convenient of a story. I mean, 20 years of David on the run at the hands of his adversary who's trying to kill him when he's just trying to serve him. Isn't it convenient that a Gentile runs and claims to have killed Saul's life? By the way, this is a little contrary to the story that's said in 1 Samuel chapter 31, if you compare the two. Could it be that this Gentile saying, hey, I was there, I killed him. Now, isn't there anything for me? I mean, I took the guy out. You've been running for him for 20 years. And now he's gone and you're king because of me. Don't you want to thank me? Look, I have his crown. I have his wristband, his bracelet. Wouldn't you like to thank me for that? The only obstacle that was in your way, David, was Saul. So you becoming king. But I took him out for you. Don't you think there should be something coming my way? If this, in fact, was the case, then I would say that this man was a, had a masterful manipulative plan. But, the, but King David responded in a way that he wasn't expecting. You know what he did? He executed him. Actually, he had one of his servants execute him. And the reason that he states for doing it is because you raised a hand against the Lord's anointed. For 20 years, I never raised a finger at the Lord's anointed. And if I ever came close to it, I repented of it. And whether you did this or whether you're lying and by the confession of your mouth, you would say that you would raise a finger against the Lord's anointed, you must die for that. That's God's king. If I wasn't gonna take him out, I'm not gonna let anybody take him out. Only God can take him out. So here's a gentleman who's preying on David's ego. Didn't work. And then preying on some kind of expectation of loyalty from David. And that didn't work either. You don't raise a hand or claim to raise a hand against the Lord's anointed without God taking you out. Master manipulation has no chance against God's master plan. Maybe temporarily, but against God's master plan, no chance at all. Take solace in that. Just sit in that. Just allow God to be in control of the situation. The truth is the enemy of God, Satan himself, tried to manipulate Jesus Christ when Christ was on the earth. 
saying to him, hey, listen, you can die and become king of the world, or you can just come serve me and I'll make you king of the world. You don't have to die. And yet that manipulative plan did not make it either as God's master plan would win out and not be thwarted. Christ did die for the world and give us forgiveness of sins. I wonder if you're here today and maybe you're ready to take that next step in commitment towards Christ. We all struggle with our own manipulative ways and God can forgive that and much more. Should you place your faith in his son and the work of the cross? Maybe you're here ready to admit that you are the master manipulator. I've been manipulating God this whole time and I think I'm coming to the realization that I can't do that. His master plan wins out. Maybe I should just submit to it. Submit to him. There isn't a used car sales pitch that will win you anything with God without Jesus. Why don't you come to him? Follow him. Every form of sin is a type of manipulation, isn't it? And every time we sin, we place ourselves in a distance with God, adverse to God. The beautiful thing is that Christ came to die on the cross so that he could bring back what was torn apart because of sin. God can bring back because of Christ's blood on the cross. Today we took communion, that's what we're talking about. Yes, I've messed up. And yes, I haven't lived a perfect life. And that's why I take the bread, looking at the life that Christ lived that was perfect that I could never live. And then we took the cup, which is representative of the blood of Christ. And as we drink it, we're saying, because of his blood, I've been forgiven. I've been set free. The old is gone, all things are new. God has restored my heart and my soul. That's when you participate in communion, what you're celebrating, that you've been restored to God. And I don't wanna get so knee deep in 1 Samuel that we forget that there are people who may be coming and hearing about this for the first time. And yes, there are principles in the scriptures that you could take upon, great moralistic principles that you could add to your life. And I do believe that your life would be more blessed for it, but it will mean nothing unless you submit and bow your head out of the king. Let him be your Lord and Savior. Take the next step. Say, I'm going to become a follower of Christ. We don't say we're followers of Christ when we got everything figured out. No. We become followers of Jesus Christ and then we figure everything out. If you're waiting for yourself to figure everything out, you've got to realize you can't figure it out on your own. You need the Lord. You need the Lord to help you figure it out. If you're in that place today, as everybody's heads are bowed and eyes are closed, just between you and the Lord, I don't do a big hand thing or eyes or come forward. I don't do much of that. Just prayerfully in your heart, let it be real and genuine. Today, Lord, I'm following Jesus Christ. I've placed my faith in his life, his death, his burial, and his resurrection, that there's no way to heaven except for to believe on him. I can't make it on my own. I need a substitute. I place my faith in the substitute of Christ on the cross, his burial and his resurrection. I confess it with my mouth. I believe it in my heart. Now come in and change me from the inside out. I don't wanna be a master manipulator anymore. And I don't wanna manipulate you with my own sin. I confess it. 
And as I confess it, the strength of its arms around me are released in the name of Jesus. Is that you? Man, if that's you, we would love for you to tell us about it. And I'm sure Kenny will give you an opportunity of how to do that a little later. Father, I do pray today. Uh, I know I don't want to be a master manipulator, and yet sometimes I can, I can see myself veering off that course. I know that we need to be careful of these things in our own lives and then be careful of being victims of ourselves. But in the end, you are sovereign. You are God. You are bigger. We can just rest in your hands. You are in control of it all. I don't need to worry. I don't need to fret. I don't need to figure out the right action. The master planner has it figured out. I just need to come in my own heart in submission and subjection to that master plan. Would you help us do that? We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Thank you, Pastor David. Um, if you just prayed with Pastor David to receive the Lord and you've accepted him for the first time, I think probably the most important thing you can do right now is to let someone know. Um, and we have people at the counter in the um, lobby on the left-hand side as you exit who, if you go there and let them know, or even if you're not ready and you still have some questions, go to those people as well and let them know that too. We want to be part of this journey with you. If you don't have a Bible, we want to be able to give you one. If you're watching us online today, uh, go to campcc.net, click on next steps, and you can let us know there what God's doing in your heart so we can be praying for you and be part of it with you. We're going to give back to the Lord now. It's one of our ways of worshiping him. Um, and we do it because the Bible asks us to in this form of worship when we do it. Um, and then everything you see in our church is supported by your generosity and giving. So thank you for doing that. It's three ways to participate, as you can see on the screen. Um, before we go, why don't you check out this video of what's coming up next at CAMCC. CAMCC, I'm Chelsea Hernandez, and I oversee activities for young families in our church. We are so glad you are here today. On October 15th at 3.30, we will be decorating pumpkins with our little ones. You bring the pumpkins, we'll provide the decorations. If you want more info on young families, you can email me at youngfamilies at camcc.net, and I'll keep you in the loop. If today is your first time with us, welcome. If it's your second time, we are so glad to have you back. If you are a first time guest, we have a $5 Starbucks gift card for you. Fill out our connection card or scan this QR code with your phone's camera and let us know you filled it out digitally. You can also put your prayer request on that card as well. If this is your second visit, let us know and you'll get a $10 gift card to In-N-Out Burger. We will also invite you to our all-you-can-eat dessert with our pastors, elders, and staff. If you're watching online, go to camcc.net slash next steps to go through the guest process. There are great things coming up at CamCC. Be thinking about who you will invite. In the eye of the storm, you remain in control. Sunday, October 8th, Ryan Stevenson in concert, 7 p.m. Time is running out to get your tickets to see the Grammy-nominated and Billboard-charting artist, Ryan Stevenson. Tickets available on our website or skip the fees and purchase them in the lobby. And if you want to serve, email katie at camcc.net. October 20th through the 22nd, Women's Retreat. Ladies, remember, Women's Retreat held at Mount Crags in Calabasas. For more info, go to camcc.net slash women or connect with Allison at camcc.net. Friday, October 27th, 
Middle School Nerf War, 7 to 9 p.m. Bring your own Nerf gun, free admission for World War Nerf. Set designs, barricades, Nerf turrets, and gospel message. For more info, hit up jacob at camcc.net. Tuesday, October 31st, Trunk or Treat, 6 to 8 p.m. We want you to invite your friends, family, neighbors, coworkers for a night of fun. There will be creative trunks, a dance party, family photos, a candy cannon, and tons of candy. We really need trunks and volunteers to pull this off. If you can serve in any capacity, we need you. We can also share with you the areas we need to make this a success in our community. Come serve and come hang out at Trunk or Treat. Contact Sam at camcc.net for more info. The month of November, we'll be kicking off a new community impact initiative. More details to come. To stay in the loop of what is going on at CamCC, Follow us on Instagram, like us on Facebook, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. For more info on any of these events, go to camcc.net. My name's Stan Ziegler. I'm one of the worship leaders here at CamCC. And one thing that I got out of the message is that it really is all about humility, our humility with the Lord that is going to allow the power of God's word to keep that manipulation out of our lives, that evil manipulation. Uh, I would also ask you to be thinking about who you want to invite to church with you in the upcoming Sundays as we continue to gather and hear God's word. Also, if you need prayer for anything that's happening in your life, we invite you to come down to the front after the conclusion of the service. We'll have our prayer team here at the at the uh, front of the stage to pray with you about whatever that might be. Also, grab, make sure and grab your Ryan Stevenson concert tickets, grab some coffee and donuts, and we'll see you next Sunday.